Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we are super excited to talk all about matching as an international medical graduate. So we have both a resident in neurosurgery, one of the most competitive fields, and then also an attending who speaks a lot about international medical graduates and what matching can entail. So thanks so much for joining us, Halima and Dr. Dagayic. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. So can you tell me a little bit about where you are both a resident and attending and then talk about what year you are in residency, Halima, and then what your official position title is at Mount Sinai. So I'm a PGY2 resident, a neurosurgery resident at Mount Sinai. And I'm a neurointensivist, assistant professor of neurosurgery and neurology at Mount Sinai. And you can call me Neha throughout the podcast. Great. Well, tell me a little bit about where you both went to medical school. And then uh, Neha, also, where did you attend residency? So I went to medical school in India at St. G.S. Medical College in Mumbai. And for my neurology residency, I went to Case Western, Cleveland, Ohio. And then I did a neurocritical care fellowship at uh, Columbia and Cornell in New York City. And since then, I think I'm a New York lifer now. (laughs) (laughs) And then what about you, Halima? So I went to medical school in Pakistan um, at the Al Khan University, um, and then I moved uh, to the U.S. and did a few years of research at uh, UCSF, and then two years of pre-residency fellowship at Mount Sinai, and now I'm a resident here. So Halima, you are a little bit closer to the process of applying to residency as an international medical graduate, and so I'm wondering how many programs you recommend that IMGs apply to? So um, the number of programs depends on what specialty you're applying for. You know, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to try and apply to as many programs as possible, but I would, depending on your specialty and how many residents each program matches per year, um, research your programs and decide on a safe number. Do not apply to all the programs in your specialty, but but apply to a safe number of programs. Check with the your co-applicants to see what what's the safe number of programs the American graduates in the in the specialty are applying to, and apply to a similar number of programs, if not more. And so, when you are applying to a specific specialty, what recommendations do you have, Neha, when to trying to figure out what particular programs to actually apply to? When Halima mentioned we may not want to apply to all of them because maybe some will not take IMGs or not known to take them, I'm wondering what recommendations you have for people when looking at websites to determine what programs to actually put their money towards when applying. Great question. And what is a safe number of programs for your subspecialty? So looking at the NRMP match reports and looking at your subspecialty specific data, the previous years can always guide you in choosing the right number of programs. So once you come up with the right number of programs, um, depending upon whether you have any geographical limitations, whether you're applying together with with a partner uh, or you're going through a couple's match, those are some of the other considerations to keep in mind. And then looking at the program websites, I think it's really worthwhile looking at both the resident roster as well as the faculty roster and see if there are IMGs in both, because then it tells you that the program historically has been very supportive of IMGs 
countries and the program is used to uh, the needs, uh, particularly visas and how do you help help residents and fellows and faculty transition through different visas. So understanding whether a program has been supportive in the past can also guide you in choosing the right kinds of programs. Besides, uh, also looking at uh, specialty specific data, because some programs may be more supportive for certain specialties uh, and IMGs as opposed to others. So that also will influence your uh, application process. So speaking of certain specialties that may cater more towards IMGs, I know that neurosurgery is typically not one of those specialties you typically see on the list. So Halima, can you tell us a little bit about your experience when going through this process and maybe some of the, the viewpoints and opinions that you got from your mentors as you were going through and trying to get into such a competitive field? When, when applying as an IMG to any specialty, you know, be it neurosurgery or any other specialty, you want to make sure your application is competitive. So the standards for international medical graduates are a little bit different as compared to American graduates in that you need to have not only good scores, but also have experience in terms of uh, being able to either do observerships or sub-eyes so that people have seen you be a part of the American medical system and see you function um, in their setting. It's always important to have research, uh, you know, have research experience, have publications, and then if possible, um, have hands-on clinical experience to, to get letters of recommendations commenting on the, the clinical experience that you have had. So as, as an international graduate, it I understand it's difficult to have hands-on experience, but any experience that you can get, be it hands-on or observership, that definitely um, adds a lot to your application. So, you know, like like an American graduate, scores would matter, your letters would matter. You need to have research, um, have publications to show for the time that you've spent doing research, and then have clinical experience. And let's say we're a little bit frustrated by the fact that we didn't test as well as we wanted to, and things are going to change come January when step one becomes pass-fail, but there's also step two, which plays a large role in how residencies look at applicants. So for an IMG that happens to have lower USMLE scores, what sort of guidance do you recommend to them, Neha, in regards to trying to figure out what specialties they might be able to apply to or be competitive for? The first um, piece of advice I'd have for folks who've not scored as well, scores are not the be-all and the end-all. Scores are typically used by programs to screen applicants. However, if you're really committed to applying to a particular subspecialty or you're really interested in a particular program, always reaching out with, you know, to the program coordinator or the program director or both and highlighting why you're really interested in their program and what uh, specific things you've done to overcome, you know, potentially uh, low score that uh, that could have made you look like not a, not a very attractive applicant, but you've done so much more to enhance your application. And then what what are some of those things that you can do? So, for example, uh, some of the clinical experience that you can garner, whether it's observerships, whether it's externships. Uh, externships are a little more difficult to come by if you have already graduated from your, res from your uh, medical school back home. 
But while you're still a fourth year medical student or third year medical student, if you're applying for an externship, that's going to help overcome some of the problems in your scores. The other things that count for positive, positive things on your application would be research. If you're spending time doing research, like Halima said, being able to show that you've, you've gotten some publications out of your research time, showing some community service, um, whether it's back home or volunteering for certain, certain programs for underserved areas, showing your commitment to becoming a part of the American medical system and getting letters to support that commitment, particularly from, from US faculty, will certainly go a long way in enhancing your application. But I would say a low score should not deter you from applying to more competitive fellowships. However, having a realistic expectation, looking at the NRMP match data from prior years, if a subspecialty like neurosurgery tends to have very high cutoffs cutoffs for scores, and the bar is very high, even for US medical graduates. So I think just tempering your expectations and sometimes even recalibrating your expectations, doing a master's, whether it's a master's in clinical research or uh, MPH, a master's in health administration, like there would be other, other courses that you might be able to do to enhance your application. So one more thing I would like to add is that for, especially for INGs, if you have step three and a good step three score that sometimes helps. So, you know, if you were not able to score high on step one, let's say having a step two score that's better than your step one score helps offset your step one score. And then it, you can always take step three and have and score high on that and have that to show for uh, for your testing skills and always being upfront about it. Um, you know, if you have low scores, address it in your personal statement or reach out to the program and explain what you have done to overcome um, the setback. Those are awesome points. And it very much is important for people to realize that they should not refrain from applying to a specific specialty just because of an exam score. There are other ways to bolster your application and gain connections. And one of those ways that you did describe is through observerships. And so I'm curious, Halima, when you described observerships and externships, how you go about finding these opportunities, as many IMGs talk about how a lot of these opportunities may come at a high cost, which can be very difficult in regards to financial stability for a lot of people who do want to gain experience but may not want to pay the high fees. With regards to observerships, more recently, it's getting tougher and tougher to apply for observerships. My advice would be to apply to uh, to try to reach out to programs which you are really interested in for observerships because then you have a chance to go rotate at the program, show them that you can function as a part of your of their team and you know have them a chance to interact with you and, and know you on a personal basis. Um, a lot of times it's not possible due to either visa restrictions or in recent times due to COVID, but always like identify a, a set of programs that you're interested in and, and reach out to them and see if they're if you can make it work and, and go for an observership to those programs. And through those observerships, you can gain mentors. And both of you seem like awesome people that are probably mentoring lots of applicants and those that are going through this process. And so where can IMGs look for awesome mentors like yourself that are willing and able to give advice for those that are applying into their specific specialties that they're interested in? One of the avenues I would suggest, which which wasn't available when I was applying is social media. 
and social media micro mentoring, uh, particularly looking at the, the Twitter handles of folks who are prominent in the subspecialty that you're applying for. Lots of trainees are also on social media. So social leveraging social media for medicine and being very, very cognizant of how you're leveraging this powerful tool, just learning how to do that well can hold you in good stead, not just during your residency application process, but even when you're looking for jobs. One of the things that I can speak for uh, neurology, for instance, during COVID, a lot of the residency programs had to pivot very quickly to uh, virtual interviews and hashtag NeuroTwitter was created by uh, and, and Neurology Match 2021, Neurology Match 2022, was created by students who were undergoing this process. So demystifying some of the nuances of the, the process of application, various programs started using that same avenue, uh, for instance, on Twitter to advertise the program or advertise meet and greet with the faculty. So that would be one potential avenue. Another avenue would be when you look at the roster of faculty in your um, subspecialty of the programs that you're applying for, seeing what their interests are. And if you have a common research interest or a common clinical interest, reaching out to them with a very specific question or, or asking them for guidance or mentorship. Most people, when you shoot them an email, will, will respond. And if they don't respond, please do not take it personally. It's not because they don't want to. It's just that life is getting very, very hectic. And there's no harm. If you don't ask, you will not find mentorship. So mentorship is a tremendous key to success, not just during the residency application process, but throughout our careers. And I think more in medicine as compared to any other field. So don't be afraid to ask. And the third would be at uh, your subspecialty or specialty specific conferences. A lot of conferences have now become virtual, which in some ways makes it easier for for IMGs, because you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money to travel and meet um, meet amazing people in your field, you will still be able to do that via a virtual platform. It is truly amazing how COVID has changed the way in which we find mentors or the way we go to conferences. And unfortunately, when it comes to the match, there are those that do not match. And when thinking of an IMG who goes unmatched, it must be a devastating process, not only for that resident or the applicant who has spent so long trying to apply and bolster their application, but also even for their family that's going along through the ride with them. So what guidance do you have for that applicant? So I, I can speak about this from personal experience. Um, I personally uh, applied for the match the, and the first time I did apply, I did not match. And the, uh, looking back, things that I learned from it were one, I probably rushed into applying the first year that I applied. So whatever feedback that you get from your interview trail on the first time that you applied and you didn't match, take that into account. Look at the gaps in your application. Try to reach out to places where you interviewed and, and people that you interacted with, especially faculty, and get their feedback on what you could do to improve your application and then work towards filling those gaps. So it doesn't matter if you need to spend another year or two years trying to fill in those gaps in your application. Take that time, fill in that gap, and then reapply. Do not apply prematurely. Have your mentors weigh in on your application to see where you can improve, what you can add to your application before you apply the second time. And uh, as goes for like families and spouses and, you know, people who are supporting you through the match, it's it's hard, but, you know, they, they need to understand that it is going to be a hard process. It eventually is going to work out but you have to just keep on working towards it. I agree. You have to keep the faith. You've got to have, um, 
you know, it may seem like the end of the world when you don't end up matching. And it's it's very devastating and trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what next. And like Halima said, reaching out to your mentors, both back home and folks you've identified as mentors, as well as peer mentors, not just faculty, talking to people who you trust, showing them your application, filling those gaps, reapplying in a timely fashion, but also debriefing with the people who are with you in this process. And especially uh, regarding the visa situation, because some folks may end up applying on visitor visas, some may be on student visas. So understanding what is it going to take to, to ensure that you have the, the right visa status as you're reapplying. And uh, depending upon how competitive your subspecialty is, so there are subspecialty, specialty related factors, and then there are your application related factors. So just understanding the nuances and trying to have a very focused approach in bridging that gap. I've known of excellent students who've gone through the process and not matched, and they've gone back to uh, either getting another degree, for example, an MPH or a or a master's in clinical research, which then holds you in really good stead as a clinician researcher. So no time is lost time. It's an investment in yourself. I love that. It's so important for people to remember that they can gain so much, whether it be through new mentors that they really get to know, or whether it's through those graduate degrees where they learn from the coursework that they're in. I think it is very important for people to recognize the benefits of additional experience. Well, you have both provided us such great insight in regards to matching as an international medical graduate, which can lead to some challenges, but also can lead to so many wonderful experiences experiences. So is there anything else that you'd like to offer about this application or residency interview process from the perspective of an international medical graduate? I think one of the best pieces of advice I received when I was going through this process, I had the same kind of self-doubt that many people may look at, many people may have when they look at their CVs. Oh, this is not good enough. Am I going to match or not? Uh, one of my mentors from uh, my medical school told me that just the fact that you're getting invited for an interview means that you're good enough, if not better than everybody else in that room. So just own the process, be true to who you are, and make sure that you are grateful for the opportunity to interview or meet with faculty at different programs. And you acknowledge that with, uh, with a kind note at the end of the interview process. I would just echo what Neha said that, you know, have faith in the process. It's, it's not going to be, there are times when it's, it is going to be hard, but, uh, you know, as long as you keep working towards it and you have a passion for, for the field that you're applying in, you are going to get there. You both are in such incredible positions to be able to give such advice, which is so helpful for people going through this stressful journey. But I would love to have each of you share one more thing about yourself, totally unrelated to the field of medicine. So Halima, we'll start with you. Any fun facts about yourself? Um, so fun fact, um, I, I have polydactyly, so I was born with fingers and my parents had me, had them like surgically removed when I was, when I was an infant. So I often wonder, you know, how I would have worked out being a surgeon with six fingers, you know, every time I put on gloves, I think about that. I think some of the people who work with me closely know how much I love ice cream. Uh, but they may not know that I can eat ice cream for any meal of the day. And during my intern year, uh, particularly after night float, um, I would have ice cream for breakfast every single day. 
Well, you have lots of New York City ice cream shops to enjoy. Well, that's all the time we have today with Dr. Dangayich and Halima. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McCloyd for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome resident or leader in medical education.